today on Ag News Daily. So we kind of put all this together to just see a, a need at the farm level um, for just more more precise uh, crop inputs and, and bring about different uh, value-added products like biologicals and microbials. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast and happy 4th of July, belated 4th of July to all our listeners. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, it feels good to be back. It certainly does feel good to be back. Loved the long weekend. Both of us were in Colorado this weekend, just in different places. And sounds like you had a, a pretty good weekend as well, Delaney. I certainly did. I guess I could go ahead and announce it here on the podcast. I haven't even announced it on Facebook yet, but uh, got engaged over the weekend. So definitely a memorable trip for me. But my fiance feels fun to use that word. Also farms for those of you that may or may not know. I've talked about him on the podcast before, but uh, yeah, I guess you just can't get away from it, Ashton. My dad farmed, now my fiance farms. So I think I'm stuck in agriculture for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think so. But I mean, when you're raised in it, it seems like you can never escape it anyways. So it's always good when you find people that are interested in the same things you are. So it sounds like it'll be a pretty happy marriage. I at least hope. <laughs> I hope so. Lots of years of love and farming and all that, right? Absolutely. But Delaney, there uh, wasn't a whole lot of news to catch up on after the late weekend. So I'm just going to go ahead and kick things off talking about Tyson as they have issued a national recall of more than 8 million pounds of ready to eat chicken products due to possible listeria contamination. We had a listeria outbreak in Texas a few years ago with Bluebell ice cream. I don't know if you covered that Delaney or kept up with it, but it was pretty intense. The Bluebell franchise, all of their ice cream was out of the shelves for what seemed like forever. I'm a big Bluebell fan, so it kind of hurt my heart a little bit. But going back to Tyson here, the frozen fully cooked chicken products were produced between December 26th of 2020 and April 13th of 2021. The product subject to recall will have the establishment under EST P-7089 on the product bag or inside the USDA mark of inspection. So folks, if you have any ready-to-eat chicken products from Tyson in your freezer, I would definitely look for that establishment number because you could possibly get listeria, which is not a great thing for sure. No, it certainly doesn't sound that way. Wouldn't make you feel too great, Ashton. Yeah, I, I don't think so. I can't remember exactly, you know, the symptoms of listeria or anything like that. But like I said, back when we had that listeria outbreak in Bluebell ice cream, it was pretty intense. I know it's, of course, a foodborne illness. So I can only imagine it is similar to some kind of food poisoning. And I have had food poisoning before. And I got to say, it was not my favorite time. No, 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 definitely not. We won't go into the details about what food poisoning does to you, but Listeria would do the same, I suspect. Uh, but let's see, I have some news here. I'm not going to lie. I did not look at a whole lot of news while I was on vacation, but this one caught my eye today. President Joe Biden is planning to direct the 
USDA to take some actions to curb what he calls the market power of agribusiness giants. White House Press Secretary said on Tuesday that the USDA is going to engage in a series of rulemakings to increase competition in agricultural industries to boost farmers and ranchers' earnings fight back against abuses of power by giant agribusiness corporations and give farmers the quote-unquote right to repair their own equipment how they like. They don't really go about sharing so much detail about how they're going to do this, but they want to develop a plan that allows farmers to receive better market access and receive a quote, fair return. They think this comes at an interesting time because, of course, with commodity prices rising like we do, we see input costs like seed and chemical, fertilizer, equipment, all of that stuff will follow, has followed already, really, I should say. But I'm not quite sure how they're going to go about shaping this rules and regulations and what they are going to be considering as unfair and deceptive practices. So it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward with this um, new, we'll call it an initiative for now for agriculture. I saw a story similar to that, Delaney, and I've got to say I was a little bit confused because I think that there's quite a few moving parts to this. And the article that I read, it also talked about um, competition, of course, in things like uh, the Packers and Stockyards Act and uh, anti-retaliation protections for farmers who do raise concerns about bad practices when it comes to Packers and stockyards. And then it also talks about the product of USA labels that we've discussed on here before. So it sounds like President Biden is uh, looking a lot at competition in the ag industry right now. But moving right along on the subject of competition, CoBank's Kenneth Scott Zuckerberg says that grain producers will need to practice strong risk management while watching the markets this growing season, as he adds that China's quote-unquote aggressive U.S. grain purchases will likely continue. He says we see China being a lot more price sensitive in their purchases rather than buying into an accelerating price environment. Zuckerberg also added that China's limited grain ending stocks previously forced them to be an active buyer, but now they can be a little bit more strategic. He said that the combination of China's sporadic buying and weather swings will create a volatile grain market. So this might be something that we talk about, you know, here in the future. We didn't get a market Monday yesterday, Delaney, but we Mm -hmm. might have to bring that up this coming week. Well, yeah, absolutely, Ashton. And speaking of big weather movements, weather swings there, I should say, we saw the markets take a pretty big dip today. We, of course, had some pretty timely rains across the Midwest over the 4th of July weekend and the last weekend heading into the 4th of July, really, I should say. And that pushed commodity markets lower. Well, I should also add to that, I talked to Eric Snodgrass earlier today, and he's showing us the models that are mostly pointing to continued rainfall for the rest of this summer moving forward. Now, these are long range models. So you have to take those with a grain of salt. He said he gives them about 60% accuracy, but he does think that we are going to have continued rainfall heading into this pollination period for most areas across the Midwest. Uh, The Dakotas obviously are suffering still pretty heavily 
The question is, will it be enough and will they get them in the right areas that need them? There's parts of Northwest Illinois, Southwest Wisconsin, I know that are also pretty dry. So there are still pockets that are probably going to continue to experience some drought moving into the summer. But it sounds like for the most part, we should expect some pretty wet rainfall here heading into key growing time. Now, the only caveat, of course, which is good and bad, because at least we're going to have a crop to sell, is that probably does put a dampen on how much more commodity markets rally or stay at these levels from here. Like I said, we had a major sell-off today, so it's definitely going to be a, a, definitely going to have to be a discussion we have on the podcast soon, Ashton. You know, Delaney, it's not the Midwest, but when I was driving through New Mexico and Colorado this past weekend, I drove through a couple of storms and experienced a little bit of rain in Colorado Springs this weekend. So I'm glad that we are getting that rain and hopefully we do see uh, a little bit more rain into the pollination season, like you said, but I am all out of news for today. How about we talk about the markets? Let's do that. And heading into the markets, I also wanted to mention the oil market because they've had some movement as well. Um, OPEC was supposed to have a meeting with Russia. That was called off after their cartel failed to reach an agreement on increasing output in the months ahead. So essentially, it looks like OPEC leaders have been trying to drum up talks about increasing oil production amid increased demand due to, of course, more cars in the road countries reopening, etc. But that meeting didn't go as planned and didn't frankly happen. Um, We also saw the UAE said that they wouldn't accept a plan by other OPEC members to extend the group's pact to curb oil production past April of 2022. So now we're in a little bit of a precarious situation. We obviously need oil. Gasoline prices have been pretty high, as I'm sure we all know. That translates, of course, into higher fuel costs on the farm. And so we've also seen that weighing in on the markets today. But Ashton, I am glad you mentioned markets. Let's go ahead and take a look at where things closed down Unfortunately, mostly down for today. And as we look across the markets today, we saw a lot of limit moves today. We didn't touch limits in soybeans, but we did, however, in the corn market. July corn, of course, trading with an expanded limit today since they are in delivery period, down 41 and a quarter cent to close at 656. The beast down the daily limit 40 cents to close at 539 and three quarters. Soybeans today did not quite touch limits, but came close with the August contract down 89 cents to end at 1344 and a quarter. The November down 94 cents to close at 13.05. Chicago wheat had big moves to the downside as well today with the September contract down 26 and three quarters cents to close at 6.26. The December down 28 cents to close at 6.38 and a half. Now, of course, in livestock today, we saw things turn to green as uh, I've been starting to hear more producers are feeling a little more comfortable, able to have some bigger margins as we are continuing to see the pressure being put on their feed costs in the corn market. Today, August live cattle up 40 cents to close at 122.40. The October up seven and a half cents to close at 128.15. In feeder cattle today, the August contract up $3.57 and a half cents to close at 160.62 and a half. The September up 3.30 to close at 162.72 and a half. 
half. And lean hogs continued a little bit of a nice movement here to the upside with the August contract up $2.12 to close at 10235. The October down a quarter to close at 84.45. And wrapping things up here with the class three dairy milk futures. The August contract down 11 today to close at 16.60. The September down 16 to close at 17.12. Ashton, without further ado, who are we chatting with for today's interview? Today, we are talking to Charles Formasani about Sackett Waconia. For today's Tech Tuesday interview, we are talking to Charles Formasani, who is the Director of Business Development for Sackett Waconia. Charles, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, welcome. Happy to be here. So before we get started talking about Sackett Waconia, and there's some great stuff that I definitely want to hit on, let's talk about you for a second, Charles. What does your background look like? How did you get introduced to Sackett Waconia? Yeah, no, sure. It's kind of an accident. Uh, it wasn't really planned out. I went to school for mechanical engineering, but always had a love for agriculture and livestock and uh, just uh, ended up doing an internship in engineering school with with Sackett uh, at the time and back in 1999 and, and worked in the lab doing some R&D work and fell in love with it. So uh, ended up just took a job there out of, out of college as a project engineer and it all kind of went from there. So now that we know a little bit more about you, Charles, let's get to know Sackett Waconia a little better. Can you kind of give us a little bit of background information on, you know, the company history? Because Sackett Waconia has been around for 120 years. That's a lot of history to kind of go through there. Yeah, of course. Um, so it's an interesting, interesting history. Um, it really, Sackett Waconia is two companies pulled together. One is AJ Sackett and Sons out of Baltimore, Maryland. Another one is Waconia Manufacturing out of Waconia, Minnesota. Uh, both have a long history in, in the fertilizer business. So uh, Sackett, AJ Sackett and Sons um, has been around since 1897 and was actually founded up in Baltimore, Maryland, as a designer and fabricator of, of crushing and mixing equipment for the first fertilizers of the time in the late 1800s, which were more crab shells and oyster shells, shells and, and guano and uh, Chilean nitrate, things like that. They were coming up the Chesapeake Bay to the port of Baltimore. So that's how it got it started. Uh, it started as a, as a process engineering and equipment manufacturer for these early, early organic fertilizers and then moved into, uh, you know, more technologically advanced fertilizers as as the, the, the decades went on and, and more uh, uh, technology was developed. Um, on the Waconia manufacturing side, they've been around since the 1950s and were started in Waconia, Minnesota, right in the heartland in the big ag area of the country. Uh, doing more blending plants, and they've just uh, done a fantastic job of the years with just um, developing a lot of great technology and, and just really being there uh, for their customers and, and working really hard uh, for the business and of the growers in that in that uh, big Midwest uh, area of the country. So let's get to talking about what the company looks like now. There was, you know, that bit of kind of transition, you know, bringing those two companies together. So give us the 10,000 foot view as to what you guys are doing now. You have some systems and equipment that you guys are working with. So go ahead and just give us that 10,000 foot view. I feel like there's a lot to cover. <laughs> yeah, no, I can talk for hours on it. So it's actually, it's really exciting. Um, so Sackett, 
background, you know, had had more of the, the international and the global presence, a lot of process and technology development. Uh, and Walconi Manufacturing was really focused on the Midwest, uh, uh, Corn Belt, uh, and just the large-scale blending plants. So it's been really great to pull the companies together and focus on combining a lot of this big ag uh, fertilizer equipment combined with the technology um, that, that we had uh, on, on the second side. So really now we're um, just doing a, a good job of, of or trying to do our best, I should say, of, of just getting out there and being ahead of technology. Uh, understanding what the needs are of the growers now and in the future and utilizing the resources uh, of both companies uh, with heavy engineering, but also uh, geographical location in, in the Midwest to, to kind of pull together everybody's history and talents to, uh, to make this global company that, that's, uh, that does a great job of building equipment, but also design systems that are really geared toward where agriculture is heading. You say, you know, where agriculture is heading. I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit more there. What are you really talking about? Where do you think that agriculture is going and how does Sackett Waconia kind of play a role in the future? Yeah, so so we really are, I mean, we're, we're in, the, in the value chain, right, where uh, our equipment is used in it to mix the fertilizers and, and produce the fertilizers that are, that are going to uh, the farm. So, we really see a lot of the trends in ag that are kind of getting to that to that area there where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. And so a lot of the environmental pressures uh, that are coming in that are driving the need for just more um, efficient nutrients uh, combined with just looking for better yields for, for um, you know, for economics and, and various reasons that and the consumers wanting to look, you know, harder and at, at how their food was produced and to make sure it was produced in, in, in a sustainable way. So we've kind of put all this together to just see a, a need at the farm level um, for just more more precise uh, crop inputs and, and bring about different uh, value-added products like biologicals and microbials and slow-release fertilizers, fertilizers to, to just, um, you know, make this, uh, try to get the farm as efficient as, as possible. And we're just, we're, you know, really laser focused on that as far as our equipment being designed um, to, to, you know, to mix and, and produce these much more advanced um, blends and, and, and kind of nutrient and crop input um, mixes for these, for these fields. And you guys have some projects that you have been working on that I assume is helping you guys kind of figure out where Second Waconia really lies in the realm of technology and what you guys are are working towards. So can you tell us a little bit more about these projects? Yeah, sure. So I mean, we've got a lot of projects there that are in uh, different parts of the world, but also different sectors of the business. We Really like to do a lot of technology transfer um, among the different different divisions or sectors in in the industry. So, for example, um, we'll have some projects that are geared more toward row crops. Uh, we'll have some projects that that may be geared more toward fruit and vegetables, um, and others that are geared more toward nursery or or turf markets. And we can go through those different projects and and do a lot of interesting comparisons and takeaways. Because they're all they're all different and and how they are treating their particular crop again you know whether it's whether it's vegetables turf grass or or trees or row crops um, that that we can we can look at at some of those different designs and really pull together some different ideas that are helpful to everybody 
so we've got um, on our website, we show a lot of new projects and, and we have one uh, down by me in Eastern North Carolina uh, in Parkin, Parkin. It's a new project. It's kind of a hybrid system that's designed to to mix fertilizers uh, in bulk and also in bags. So at a one plant, they can serve row crops, they can serve specialty crops, vegetables, but they also can serve uh, the lawn and garden industry all from the same facility. So there's just some really neat things we're doing there to try to build flexibility um, into these systems so they can really can, you know, hit different markets, but also just different different value-added products as, as things change um, as, as, you know, as we progress and move forward with the industry. And, you know, I feel like the, the fertilizer industry, whenever people, you know, maybe not involved in agriculture, when they think about, you know, the, the kinds of industries that you're working with, they might not think that they are technologically advanced or, you know, that new things are occurring and research is being done. But what do you think is probably the most important thing, um, you know, when we're looking towards the future and how we kind of need to adapt to, to change? Yeah, so I think I mean you're right that fertilizer is kind of the last thing on people's minds, and and it doesn't have always the the best reputation. But there's a lot of technology going into fertilizer, and I think you have to really use it use maybe the more the word or phrase crop input. So it's not just fertilizer. We're trying to do we're trying to look at at uh, um, different things that make the fertilizer more efficient to be uptake into the into the plant. Um, and, and that may be, you know, looking at the soil, looking at the, at the, you know, biologicals or, or microbes, um, combined with some technology that's actually applied to the fertilizer itself to maybe make it more slow release or controlled release. So there's a lot going in to that, but I think like anything else, it's, uh, there's an, there's a economical side that, you know, at some point in time, the, you know, food will get a little bit more expensive and there'll be, you know, uh, more of these technologies adapted um, as, as we do that, as we get more yield to make to make sure the economical picture works and, and balances with the the environmental side and, and, the, and to try to you know, maximize this nutrient uh, use efficiency, which is all what, what we're going for. And like you said there, Charles, there's a couple of different projects and case studies, and of course, more information about the company on your website. So where can our listeners find that? So our website is sackettwalconia.com. Uh, um, and then there's several tabs for projects and different videos, uh, a lot of neat stuff to see there. So, you know, if you'd love to, to see kind of a little bit more about the fertilizer side or some of the equipment that's, that's going into mixing these blends that are going to the farm, uh, please, you know, check out our website or feel free to, to reach out to us through there. We'd be happy to answer any questions. Awesome. Well, again, Charles, thank you so much for coming on and chatting about technology and fertilizer with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Ashton. It's my pleasure. Thanks again there to Charles for joining us to talk about technology this Tuesday. We also talked about his involvement in the livestock and the show industry before getting started. So always love to make those connections and hear about where people are from and what they're doing in the world of agriculture. Absolutely, Ashton. Agriculture is a small world and it's fun to connect with folks on other, other parts of the industry. 
It sure is, Delaney. And we're connecting with people all over and not just here in the U.S., of course, but all over the world talking about all kinds of aspects and facets of agriculture. So, folks, you'll want to tune in to those kinds of episodes that we're having every day on the Ag News Daily podcast at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.